Everybody, I thank God for you. I love you. Grateful to be in God's house on God's day with you. And those of you watching online, thank you for joining us in God's house on God's day. Ready, 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 anticipating and eager, expecting for God to move in our midst, for God to move in our hearts. Man, if you're here with us for the first time, we are absolutely delighted. And here's what I want to do for everyone in the room or at home. I want to give you a memory test. Okay, I want to test your memory. I hope you've taken your focus factor. Uh, one year ago, in January of 2020, what were you thinking one year ago? Because one year ago, on this weekend, January 2020, the World Health Organization announced that a mysterious coronavirus had surfaced in Wuhan, China. Uh, Forty people had tested positive. One, people had di- one person had died. Now, even if you saw that news item, even if you heard it on TV, you probably didn't give it a second thought. Wuhan, China, don't even know where the heck that is. It's a long, long way away from me. But now, fast forward to January 2021, we all know. Now it's called COVID-19, and all of our lives have been dramatically affected by this coronavirus. In fact, I've lost track of all the people I know personally who've tested positive. I mean, it's come close to home. Three members of my family have gone through COVID. My brother, his wife, one of my daughters-in-law. I mean, how many of you have lost loved ones who died of COVID? I mean, it's touched all of our lives. And you know what? We've got to deal with more than just COVID. There's a lot more crisis going on in our lives than just that. I mean, just this past week, Tuesday in staff meeting, it came up, our, we were going to pray for each other, and here were the concerns. One staff member's wife is going through her second round of chemo, trying to kill the cancer, cancer that she's battling. Um, another staff member's wife, she and he both had COVID, they recovered, but now she has Lyme's disease. Two staff members have lost loved ones just recently. And this kind of health crisis uh, came very close to my heart just recently. Last week, my dad, I think it was on Wednesday, maybe it was Thursday, he wakes up uh, with a, a serious health concern. And he can't take care of it. My mom takes him to the emergency room. She's anticipating. They believe it's a a fixable physical problem. And she waits out into the car, out in the car. She can't go inside with him. And she's anticipating that after some time, he'll come back out. They'll go home. But instead, a staff member comes out and says, oh, my gosh, this is worse than we thought. Um... We can't handle this here. We don't have the kind of doctors, the kind of expertise, the kind of science, the kind of technology. We've got to transport your husband. They were hoping to send him to Terre Haute, Indiana, about a half mile away, a half hour away. That's where my parents' doctor practice. Every room in that hospital was filled to capacity. So they got a hospital 60 miles away. Now, I was confident. It's a great hospital. But my heart went out to my mom and dad. They've been married for over 70 years. 
And it just kind of pained me thinking of my mom going to bed alone in that dark house. And it pained me to think of my dad, 92 years old, in the unfamiliar setting of a hospital, uncertain about his future, uh, uncertain about what's going to happen. Now, praise the Lord, the good news is my dad's back home with my mom and he's doing well. But it, came, it, it gave me a personal understanding that when you go through a crisis, and some of you want to say, hey, mine is not a health crisis. Mine is a mental health crisis. I'm struggling mentally in this time. Others of you, it's your relationships. You say, hey, my marriage is sick to the point of death. But when you're in a crisis, health, relational, emotional, mental I mean, it's exhausting. It takes a toll on you. I mean, it was like a low-grade fever, always kind of just below the surface of my mind, thinking about my mom, thinking about my dad, praying for my mom, praying for my dad, and thank God that his ear is not too dull to hear, and his arm is not too short to save, and my dad's doing just fine. But I learned that there is an emotional, mental cost when someone you love is struggling that you feel kind of helpless. And in one chapter of the Bible, we see five people who had these, this exact emotional experience. They were emotionally confused. They were mentally exhausted. They felt helpless in the face of their painful impossibility. Five people coming to Jesus for healing. They were like, help. We don't know where to turn. We don't know who to go to. We believe you can heal us. And talk about helpless. The first guy was paralyzed. Look at this. The Bible says some people brought Jesus, excuse me, some people brought Jesus a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, this miracle is recorded in three books of the Bible, just to show you how significant it is. But one other account, I believe it's in Mark, we find out that this is a sleeping mat. This is this guy's world. His life had shrunk down to the size of his mat. He did everything on his mat. He was immovable. He, his legs were useless. He ate on his mat. He slept on it. I mean, everything he did, he did on the mat. And so his mat was filthy. His mat was a mess. His mat smelled terrible. His friends that brought him to Jesus probably, you know, carried it like this. You know what I love about this moment? Jesus doesn't see the mess of the mat. Because sometimes my mat has been a stinking mess. Sometimes your mat has been a stink. Sometimes my fault, sometimes their fault, sometimes nobody's fault. My mat is just a mess. But look what Jesus sees. Jesus, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, now what's Jesus going to say? What words of compassion, what words of power, what words of love are going to come from Jesus to transform this man's life? Here's what Jesus says. Dear friend, first thing, first words out of Jesus' uh, mouth are words of love. My dear friend, and then don't be afraid. Your sins are forgiven. I mean, maybe people were staggered, those who surrounded this healing moment. 
But what was going on in this man's heart that Jesus could see? Did he feel like he did not deserve to be healed? Did he feel unworthy of being in the presence of Jesus? Did he think he wasn't good enough? I mean, uh, his legs were useless, so he felt useless. In his culture, he was deemed damaged goods. In fact, worse than damaged goods, they believed him to be some kind of terrible, terrible sinner that this terrible circumstance would come upon his life. But Jesus wants him to know, it's, hey, it's not about how good you are. It's about how good I am. And I do good. And the best, you know, the sweetest words, the most powerful words Jesus can whisper over my soul are this. David, you are my dear friend. Know this, your sins are forgiven. Whatever you're going through, best thing you can hear from Jesus to transform your life is you are my dear friend. Don't be afraid. Your sins are forgiven. Well, no sooner is Jesus deal with this guy than another guy comes. And this guy's not coming for himself. He's not begging for himself. He's not pleading for himself. He's there to pray and beg Jesus for another. And this man is as powerful and rich as the other guy. The guy on the mat is poor and powerless. Here's this guy's story. An influential Jewish leader approached and knelt before Jesus saying, help me, help, Uh, my daughter has just died. Please come and place your hand upon her so that she will live again. This guy is breathless. He's probably knelt before, never knelt before anybody in his life, but he is on his knees in front of Jesus. He's just pouring out his heart. I mean, he knows the reality of the circumstance. His daughter had died. As we, as we see in other accounts of this same story, the daughter is 12 years old and she's his only child. Maybe she died in his arms. We don't know if it was a sudden sickness. We don't know if it was a lingering illness. We just know that she had died and he didn't wait a moment. He didn't hesitate. He ran out of her bedroom, ran out of his house, ran to Jesus and with every hurried step, In faith, he's envisioning Jesus responding to his plea, Jesus coming with him, Jesus going into his home, Jesus entering his daughter's bedroom, Jesus laying his hand on his daughter and raising her unbelievably, miraculously from the dead. Now, uh, what's Jesus going to do with this guy? How's he going to respond to his plea? and his passion, his request that he would raise his daughter from the dead. I mean, everybody's watching in this massive audience. Here's what happens. Jesus went with him. What the guy envisioned in faith, Jesus did. And the same is true for you. Right now, whatever you're envisioning in faith, Jesus is actively at work to your good. Jesus went with him, and there was this huge crowd. They followed right along, and they were so big, they pressed in on Jesus from all sides. Now, this surging river of humanity had only moved forward about one foot or two when Jesus says, time out. Who touched me? Somebody touched me. I want to know who touched me. And the closest followers of Jesus, they are like, Lord, have you lost your mind? Everybody's, all kinds of people are pressing up against you. But you see, there was a woman. Here's the situation. Um, This is a a prayer shawl that I got in Israel the first time I was there. And 
Typically, men wore these prayer shawls, and when they prayed, they would cover their heads like this and bow and pray. Um, But probably, at the moment, Jesus was wearing his prayer shawl like this. And this woman, I mean, this woman, she had suffered 12 years of constant, embarrassing, humiliating, feminine bleeding. 12 years of bleeding. but, But she had heard about Jesus, and in faith, she envisioned in her mind that if she could touch, now those of us who grew up with the King James Bible, uh, we heard the hem of his garment. But the Greek means that she would touch, she believed that if she touched the tip of his tassel, of his prayer shawl, that she would be healed. That's what she envisioned in faith. And so somehow, though she was deemed a cultural social outcast, though she was deemed unclean and untouchable, somehow she made her way to Jesus. She reached out and she touched the tip of the tassel of his prayer shawl. And we get more details from, of her story from Mark. Mark says that she had suffered a great deal, this bleeding, suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She'd gone to one doctor, Nothing. Gone to another doctor, he prescribes, just doesn't work. Another doctor, doctor after doctor, and had spent all her money. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. This woman is wrecked. She's wrecked physically. She's wrecked financially. The money's gone. Now what's she going to do? Now where's she going to turn? Who's she going to go to? She's wrecked emotionally. She is desperate, but in faith, she envisions, she envisions in faith that if I can just touch the tip of his tassel, I will be healed. (laughs) This has been quite a day for Jesus. I mean, can you imagine person after person? Matthew in chapter nine captures five people who come to Jesus. First, he's got this guy on a mat at his feet, friends begging Jesus to heal the guy. And then he has, then he has his father at his feet begging Jesus to come, touch his daughter and raise her from the dead. No pressure, Lord. And then he has this woman at his feet, so humiliated she doesn't want to look him in the eye. She doesn't want to talk to him. She doesn't want to ask anything. She's, she, she's just so humiliated. All she wants to do is touch the hem of his garment. And so Jesus, it's a long day. He enters the house where he's staying, but he's looking for some R&R, but uh, right behind him, just like shadows, a couple of blind men barge right in on his footsteps. And they say, oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus asked them, do you believe? Remember the father? He envisions in his mind that if I go, Jesus will respond. He'll come. Remember uh, the friends carrying the guy on the mat with faith, believing that Jesus would heal? Uh, uh, Remember the woman? Do you believe I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they reply. Yes, we believe you can give sight to the blind. So guess what Jesus does? Here's what he does. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Unbelievable. According to your faith, let it be done to you. You know what? My life right now 
is what it is according to my faith in Jesus. And your life is right now, whatever it is, it is according to your faith in Jesus. What are you envisioning in faith for your life? I mean, by the way, the lame man, when Jesus got done with him, he leapt to his feet. He ran and he danced all the way home on good, sturdy, strong legs. And the father, Jesus not only went with him, he entered his house, he entered the girl's bedroom, he laid his hand on the girl and raised the girl from the dead. And the woman with the 12-year issue of constant bleeding, here's what he said to her. You took a risk of faith. You took a risk of faith. You took a risk of faith and now you're healed and whole. She touched the the tip of the tassel of the prayer shawl of Jesus and bam, what she had envisioned in faith became her reality. You took a risk of faith. When I read that this week, I asked myself, David, what risk of faith are you taking right now? And I wanted you to spend some time with that question. What risk of faith are you taking in your finances? What risk of faith are you taking in your work at your school? What risk of faith are you taking in your emotions? What risk of faith are you taking dreaming great dreams, setting good goals with God? What risk of faith are you taking? And now you're healed and whole. What you believed in faith now is your reality. Live well, live blessed. And here's my question. One chapter in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, five separate miraculous healing, a little girl raised from the dead. Why does Matthew cram one chapter with these five healings? He's piling up evidence that Jesus is more than loving. He's piling up evidence that Jesus is more than all-powerful. He's piling up evidence that Jesus is the long-anticipated curse crusher. Yeah, check it out. Jesus did healing miracles, not just because he loved people. We learned last week that the most compassionate thing Jesus did was not heal, but to teach. He did healings not just because he was all-powerful and could. He did healings to prove himself as the curse Crusher. It was all to be irrefutable evidence, unmistakable evidence beyond debate that Jesus, the long-awaited curse crusher, was right now in their midst. You see, the history of humanity had been crippled and corrupted by a killing curse. In the Garden of Eden, the first two humans, man and woman, Adam and Eve, had sinned against God. And when they did, it unleashed the most evil curse upon our planet itself and upon all human beings. So that when they did their sin against God, brutality, cruelty, every kind of sickness, everything from the common cold to cancer to COVID, was unleashed. Murder, theft, rape, racism, abortion, all evil affected the hearts of people and the planet itself. Everything and everyone was subject to death. Now God, as he intervened, he forgave the man and woman. He showed them mercy and grace for their sin, just as he has shown you and I mercy and grace for our sin. He knew the source of the curse was Satan. 
And he is infuriated with Satan. He backs Satan to the wall, points his finger in his face and says, Satan, you're not getting away with this. I'm sending a curse crusher and he will crush your head. So for generations, for centuries, God's people were looking, were anticipating, were eager, were expecting that the curse crusher would come, put death to death. No more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow. But how would they know? How would they know that this one was the curse crusher? Well, 740 years before the birth of Jesus, God breathed on the prophet Isaiah, and he said, this is what you look for in the curse crusher. He said, he will open the eyes of the blind. You see somebody who can restore eyes to the blind? That's the curse crusher. He will unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Every time Jesus worked a miracle, every time Jesus did a healing, every time Jesus raised the dead, it was to point to him as the crusher of the curse. And it was more than the healings. It was more than restoring sight to blame because you know that Jesus did not heal every sick person. Jesus did not restore sight to every blind person. Jesus did raise people from the dead, but he didn't raise every dead person and call them back to life. Because each miracle was a lesson pointing people to the fact that Jesus was the curse crusher. In fact, check this out. The curse crusher, he reverses the curse, becomes the curse for us. You see, the epitome of Jesus crushing the curse did not happen when he restored sight to the blind, did not happen when he healed the sick, did not happen when he raised the dead. It happened when he died on the cross. He had lived a perfect, sinless life, knew no sin, did no sin, and then willingly laid his sinless life down on the cross to pay for our sins. And on the cross, he became the, 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 the curse for us, actually reversing the curse so that everything bad about me is put on Jesus and it's reversed and everything good about Jesus is put on me and everything wrong with you is put on Jesus and everything right with Jesus is put on you. The curse is reversed. All our evil, ugly imperfections are put on Jesus and all the beauty and the glory of his perfection is put on us. On the cross, Jesus literally reverses the curse. He is crushed to crush the curse. Look at the word of God. Paul writes, Christ redeemed us. He bought us back by his shed blood. He redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it. He absorbed everything wrong with me. He absorbed all the bad in you. He absorbed all our ugly imperfections. He absorbed it all completely in himself. He absorbed all God's anger do us for our sin. He absorbed all God's judgment, all God's condemnation do us for us. He took it all in himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became the curse. And we were fully, finally forgiven. All our sins, past, present, and future. We were cleansed of, of, of all guilt and shame. We were made completely new. We were 
born again. So that when we believe that Jesus is God who came in the flesh, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and rose from the dead, the curse has no hold on us. So the people, this Jesus looks like he's the curse crusher. Looks like he's the curse crusher. He restores sight to the blind. Oh my gosh, he heals the sick and he even raises the dead. But how will he crush the curse to alleviate sickness, to alleviate pain, to remove sorrow? Look at the word of God. He, the curse crusher, was the one who carried our sicknesses, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. I mean, it was because of our rebellious deeds, not just Adam and Eve, we sinned, that that he was pierced, and because of our sins, that he was crushed. He endured the punishment that we deserved for our sins. He endured the punishment that made us completely whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Like wayward sheep, we wandered away. Each of us has turned from God's path and chosen our own way. Yet, even though uh, what, what, what sinners we would be, even knowing the wrong things we would do and say and think, yet the Lord has laid on Jesus the sins of us all and the weight of my sins and the weight of your sins and the weight of the world's sins crushed him. Crush, the curse crusher was crushed as he became the curse for us. But, but, but it wasn't just... It wasn't just. The healings of Jesus were not just to point to Jesus as the curse crusher. They were pointing to the day when Jesus would return, come again in all his glory with all heaven's angels and claim us as his home and gather us all to heaven. There would come a day where there would be no more curse, no more sickness, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. The word of God says in the book of Revelation, it'll be like this. Look, God's home is now among his people and he will be with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or chemo or radiation or COVID. No more crying, no more pain, all these, no more racism. All these things are gone forever because the curse crusher became crushed under our sin, being made the crush that we, the, the curse that we might be made whole. And we say, thank you, Jesus. And now what do we do? What effect does it have on our lives? Well, for one thing, we join Jesus in crushing the curse. Well, how do we do that? Well, we pray the scriptures that we just witnessed. Every night when Deb and I take communion together and pray, we pray for people with COVID. We pray that by the wounds of Christ, they would be healed. Total restoration. We pray surrendered to the gospel, Christ crucified for our sins and risen from the dead, for it is the supernatural power of God that changes things, changes the landscape of our lives, that provides, that protects, and delivers, delivers out of every kind of difficulty caused by the curse. So we pray for others. We become partners with Jesus in the miraculous as we pray for healing, as we pray for help, as we pray for hope for those that we love and for our world. Because we can look around. 
We can look around in our immediate life and we can look beyond us to our world and see that there's a lot of curse going on that's been left uncrushed. Now, I haven't watched the news in um, about 10 weeks, and I believe I'm more intelligent now. Um, But my Debbie called me into the living room last Wednesday and said, you got to see all these people in Washington, D.C. And I went in and I watched, and I'm like, this is why I don't watch the news anymore. And I walked away from it. But you know, if this was January 2020 pre-COVID, I would have, at this point in my message, invited you to the front. Anyone with physical disability, anyone going through emotional, mental struggles, or relationship problems, and I would lay hands on you, and I would personally pray for you, for your healing, because we can join the curse crusher in his ministry to give healing and hope and help. Uh, That's not possible today, but I think it is possible to invite you online in your homes and in this room to join me in praying for our nation, for healing for our nation. Um, When you come to this church and you hear from me, you're not going to get the donkey of one political party or the elephant of the other. You're going to get the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's our only hope. And the Bible promises that if my people, you see, I think healing and unity in our country begins in the church. And if we can experience it here, it will ripple from here. And our, our country needs it. We need healing. We need unity. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their, their land. So would you humble yourself and seek the face of God with me in prayer? Let's bow. Our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we come to you in your name, asking that by the power of your shed blood, you you heal our nation. We thank you that we have personally felt the positive, uh, exciting benefits of you crushing the curse for us. And so we, with boldness, come before the throne of grace through the torn curtain that is the body of Jesus, divine mercy and help for our nation in our time of need. Lord Jesus, there were times when you were on this earth, you would pick people up and hold them in a holy hug. And in the holding and in the hugging, you would heal them. So we ask that you just take up into your arms the United States of America from the highest levels of government to ordinary folks just like us and bring healing, Lord. Lord Jesus, we ask that you take your nail-pierced hands and apply them to our nation. And with the application of your nail-pierced hands, pierced for our sins, pierced to bring unity, that you bring healing, Lord. Only you, Lord, who were willing to be made the curse that we might be made whole, that were willing, that you were willing to be crushed that we might be healed. We call on the name above all names, the name of Jesus, for the healing of our nation through the unity of our church. In your name we pray, amen. I love you guys. I love you and I thank God for you. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week. Bye.